Hi, everyone, and welcome back to A Book Nerd and the Bible. My name is Sam, and each week I take a look at some of my favorite stories and how they compare to some of my favorite biblical ones. This week we are starting a brand new series looking at Frodo from The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. The Lord of the Rings is a three-part book series that follows a group of heroes trying to destroy an immensely powerful ring. This ring was created by an evil being named Sauron who is intent on getting it back and taking over the world. Frodo, the protagonist, must take the ring to a volcano in Sauron's evil homeland to destroy it. The books were published in the 1950s, and they are some of the most iconic works of fantasy in recent literature. They were written by J.R.R. Tolkien, who was himself Catholic, and his religious background definitely comes through in these books. So it's pretty fair to say that we should have a lot to talk about with these, because Tolkien was overtly trying to bring out biblical themes in his own stories. I know how many people really love The Lord of the Rings, and I grew up watching and re-watching the Peter Jackson movie trilogy at least a hundred times. But I will be honest, I actually did not finish reading the series until a few months ago. I absolutely love the language that Tolkien uses throughout the books, and the stories actually do differ from the movies quite a bit. Tolkien is obviously a Christian author. A lot of his religious beliefs are reflected in these books. But I think there are still some surprises when you start to dig in a little deeper. We are going to compare Frodo before he starts his journey to destroy the ring, and Jesus before he starts his ministry. Needless to say, I am very excited to start these comparisons between Frodo and Jesus. Before we start, I want to give a huge thanks to everyone who listened to last week's episode. We actually made it into the top 10 books podcast on Good Pods, which honestly, I really can't believe. Check out Good Pods if you haven't, because it is a great place to find podcasts just like this one. It really means a lot to me that so many people have listened, and I will keep doing my best to make sure that these shows get better and better each week. This is becoming a bit of a habit, but I will probably be discussing things we learn later in the Lord of the Rings books. So if you are looking to avoid spoilers, stop here. They are different from the movie some, but you've had over 60 years to read these things. With the standard warning now applied, let's start our discussion with two men that are a little bit larger than life. Follow me to the Shire in ancient Israel, and let's dive in. Some people just have a charisma. They have an it factor that makes them stand out. I think we can all think of a few people in our own lives who we just seem to gravitate towards. Today, we're going to discuss two people who definitely have charisma. Bilbo Baggins and John the Baptist are characters who just seem to captivate readers. They are eccentric in the best way, and they have the kinds of stories you want to listen to. Bilbo and John the Baptist are meant to be introductions to the main figures of our stories, but they have taken on a life of their own with readers. Bilbo Baggins is a main character in his own right. In fact, J.R.R. Tolkien published The Hobbit, which stars Bilbo, nearly 20 years before he published The Lord of the Rings. Bilbo is a hobbit, basically a small human, who enjoys the peace and quiet of his wealth and home in the Shire. He had spent 50 years not looking for an adventure, but he is pulled into one by Gandalf the Wizard, who leads Bilbo on an epic quest to help some dwarves recapture their home in the Lonely Mountain. Along the way, Bilbo defeats giants, spiders, and goblins, and he helps Gandalf and the dwarves to defeat Smog the dragon. He is rewarded handsomely by the dwarves for his help, and he heads home laden with gold. He returns home just in time to save his precious house from his horrendous cousins, because the entire Shire believes him to be dead. Bilbo saves the house, and he starts to write songs and stories about his trip that make him famous. 
He is seen as odd by the hobbits because he likes to travel and has strange visitors to his house, but he is a beloved member of this community. This would be enough for any hobbit, but Bilbo found another treasure during his adventure. One night, Bilbo's party is ambushed by some goblins in tunnels underneath the Misty Mountains. Bilbo gets separated from his group and wakes up in a dark cave tunnel. When he wakes up, his hand finds a small golden ring that he picks up and puts in his pocket. He tries to find his way in the dark, but stumbles into an underground lake. This underground lake is home to Gollum, a terrifying little creature who is well known to Lord of the Rings fans. Gollum, who has lived deep in the dark cave for a very long time, is curious about Bilbo and begins to talk to him. This cues up one of the most terrifying scenes in fantasy literature, as Bilbo and Gollum begin a game of riddles essentially for Bilbo's life. Bilbo wins the riddle game, but Gollum is angry and begins to grow suspicious about his missing ring. Bilbo slips the ring on and discovers it turns him invisible. He uses it to find his friends and escape the caves. He carries it with him throughout the trip and back home to the Shire. Once home, Bilbo miraculously does not age. He lives well past the expected lifespan of a hobbit, and he becomes a celebrity because of his wealth and peculiar reputation. However, Bilbo really didn't have any friends in the Shire except for some cousins. His favorite cousin is, of course, Frodo Baggins, who he adopts and takes into his home at Bag End. He lives in the Shire in comfort, but he starts to long for adventure again. He begins to formulate plans for leaving, but he wants to leave with a bang. For his 111th birthday, Bilbo throws the largest party anyone has ever seen. It has drinking, dancing, and a magnificent fireworks display put on by Gandalf the Wizard. Bilbo makes a speech to end the party. He thanks everyone for coming, then slips the ring on and vanishes to the surprise of everyone there. This is an event that will be talked about for generations of hobbits, and Bilbo knows this. After the party, Gandalf heads to Bilbo's house and finds him visible again. We learn that Bilbo is planning to travel with some dwarves, but he doesn't have any real plan. Gandalf also convinces Bilbo to leave behind his ring for Frodo, but Bilbo clearly struggles to detach himself from the ring. He eventually leaves, and Frodo returns home to find he is now master of the ring. I know some people will be angry that I left out certain parts of Bilbo's story, but I hope this does a pretty good job of setting him up for our comparison today. He is a fun-loving and brave hobbit, and I think he often isn't given the credit he deserves for leaving the ring behind. He is a perfect way to set up the story for Frodo, and I think he is a character that is given a lot of depth by Tolkien. John the Baptist is a character that is given a lot of attention by the Gospel writers. I am going to take most of what I say here from the Gospel of Luke, but all four Gospels talk about him in length. Luke actually begins his history of the early church by describing John the Baptist's birth in chapter 1. John's father was a priest named Zechariah, who was married to John's mother named Elizabeth. The couple was unable to have a child while they were young, but an angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in his old age and told him Elizabeth would have a son. The angel says John will be great in the sight of the Lord and will bring many Israelites back to him. Afterwards, Zechariah goes home and Elizabeth discovers she is pregnant. While Elizabeth is pregnant, she is visited by her cousin, Jesus' mother Mary. Elizabeth basically confirms to Mary that Mary is indeed carrying the Messiah, and she says John jumped for joy in the womb. I guess this is kind of like the baby kicking? I don't know. But the baby is excited for Jesus to be near him. Elizabeth then has John, and everyone is excited for her because she has never had a baby, and they wonder what the Lord will do for John. Luke then skips forward in time, and we learn John the Baptist is preaching in Judea near the Jordan River, and he has embraced an aesthetic lifestyle 
where he wears camel hair shirts and eats locusts and honey. John is saying people should be baptized to forgive their sins, and those who don't will be punished by God. John is also preaching about justice and telling people to give to charity. And a bit of a throwback to what we discussed last week, the Gospel of Luke says John the Baptist tells tax collectors to stop collecting taxes and tells some soldiers to stop extorting people for money. He's really throwing quite a bit of shade at Roman rule and those who enable it. Luke then says people thought John might be the Messiah for tackling these issues, but John tells them another is coming who will be more powerful. Luke glosses over this a little bit, but other Gospels say John baptizes Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew says John pushes back on this and says Jesus should baptize him, but he finally relents. The Gospel of Mark simply says John baptized Jesus. The Gospel of John, not to be confused with the guy we are discussing here, this is another John, doesn't mention it at all. It's all a little bit weird, and I will discuss it in a minute. So after Jesus' baptism, John continues to travel around and preach until he's rebuked by the Jewish ruler in the area, Herod, the son of the Herod from our first podcast. Herod locks John up in prison, and Luke later mentions, pretty casually I might add, that Herod has beheaded John. The Gospels of Matthew and Mark give a much more elaborate retelling of the beheading. They claim Herod liked John originally, but he was causing too much trouble, so he locked him up. But Herod's wife had a grudge against John for calling attention to the scandalous nature of their marriage, and she convinces her daughter to ask for John's head after Herod promises the daughter a gift. This effectively ends the Gospel's narrative about John the Baptist. It's exciting and weird and kind of wonderful. There is very little historical information about John the Baptist, but we know enough to guess that there is more to John's life than the Gospels are letting on. John was likely born to Zechariah but we can't verify his relation to Jesus. John likely lived in a monastic community in the Judean desert for many years before he began to preach. John leaves the monastery and gains a pretty big following by preaching that God is going to bring a cataclysmic end to the world to correct it for its sins. He is telling Jewish peoples to prepare for this imminent event. Historians say the relationship between John and Jesus is a difficult one to unpack. What seems likely to many historians is that Jesus heard John's message of justice, and Jesus responded to it by being baptized. However, Jesus doesn't buy John's framing that the world is essentially doomed to a coming apocalypse. Jesus instead preaches that his listeners have an obligation to react to evil and to try to correct the world because God asks us to. It's a subtle difference, but basically Jesus believes God is waiting for mankind to respond to evil, and John believes mankind is waiting on God to remove it. It's not really clear what their true relationship was, but it is somewhat obvious that early Christians are nervous that Jesus being baptized by John can be seen as a sign that John is superior. To rectify that, they write John in as a prelude to Jesus. They see John had a significant role in Jesus' life, but they don't want Jesus to appear as a student to John's teaching. I know these were some long introductions, but I'm going to try to do a better job of providing some background on the people I talk about. If you haven't heard the story in a while or have never read it, I still want you to be able to listen to the episodes and get something from them. I think this is the best way to do that. With that being said, I think this gives us a really good background on the two men we are focusing on today. Bilbo Baggins and John the Baptist are super interesting characters that in some ways steal the spotlight from Jesus and Frodo for a while. So I think it's time to take a little bit closer look at these two. Follow me to Judea and Middle Earth, and let's dive in. Imagine this. You're at a big family get-together. You have some really good food, especially if you're from the South like me, and you are carrying your super heavy plate to all the mismatched tables and chairs to eat. 
Now picture in your head who you were going to sit by. For me, any family event inevitably meant one thing, spending as much time as possible with my cousins. Cousins are the best kind of family, and I think anyone with a big family knows how special those connections can be. That's why I think the fact that Bilbo Baggins and John the Baptist are cousins with our main characters is so powerful. The Gospel of Luke leaves a really heavy impression of the importance of family in its telling of John and Jesus' birth. Obviously, we get the story that John kicks in Elizabeth's womb when Mary arrives pregnant with Jesus. But the story is also revealing that Mary has come to see her cousin Elizabeth when she is pregnant. You have to imagine that an unmarried woman in ancient Israel would have had a tough time convincing people her pregnancy was a revelation of the Holy Spirit, and it's possible that she headed to her cousin for some comfort and peace. I think these stories set the tone for the relationship the two cousins have later in life as well. We know Jesus and John must have continued to be close because John is the one to baptize Jesus in the Jordan River when Jesus is already 30 years old. The two must have stayed in pretty regular contact for Jesus to be baptized at age 30, and it probably would have been even more difficult when you consider the monastic desert life of John the Baptist. The first book of the Lord of the Rings series, The Fellowship of the Ring, starts with a much more interesting dynamic. The first chapter tells us that Bilbo, quote, had many devoted admirers among the hobbits of poor and unimportant families, but he had no close friends until some of his younger cousins began to grow up, end quote. This is very different from the scene between Mary and Elizabeth, and it is a little sad that Bilbo went on grand adventures and made lots of treasures to simply be alone in a house for a long time. His oddness probably isolates him from other hobbits, but his stories and songs are a delight if you are a young cousin spending time with a famous, eccentric older relative. Frodo is his eldest and favorite cousin, and Bilbo adopts him as his heir after Frodo's parents tragically die in a drowning. The two share a birthday, and Bilbo seems to delight in this fact. I think Bilbo is pleased to share his life with someone, and Frodo and Bilbo show the power of family in a different way than Jesus and John. They show the power of family amidst loss and loneliness. But Bilbo and John the Baptist are more than just family for the heroes of these tales. In so many ways, they are imperfect forerunners of who Frodo and Jesus will be. Bilbo and Frodo share the same contradictions in their family bloodline. The paternal line of Baggins is made up of well-to-do figures who enjoy the creature comforts of their good-sized hobbit hole. However, the two also carry on their maternal line of Took. The first chapter in The Hobbit says the Tooks often enjoyed a good adventure and would quietly slip away from the Shire to journey throughout Middle-earth. The same chapter says the Baggins line is more respected, but the Took line is far richer. Bilbo perfectly embodies these contradictions in his own story of The Hobbit, because he steadfastly refuses to partake in adventure before setting off to help the dwarves reach the Lonely Mountain. Bilbo is courageous in the face of danger, but the final sentence of The Hobbit says he longs for his good armchair. He loves adventure and home all in one. I love Bilbo's character, and I think he is a bit of a mirror for who Frodo is in some ways. But I also think Bilbo is a much more flawed character than Frodo. Bilbo relies on tricks and sometimes outright lies during his adventure in The Hobbit, and he initially hides the fact that he has found the ring from his companions. Bilbo clearly is not aware of the power the ring holds over him all the years he keeps it in the Shire, and he struggles to leave it behind. He gives in to the temptation to see the ring again when he is reunited with Frodo, but Bilbo quickly realizes the danger of the ring upon seeing it again, and seems to lament the burden he has given Frodo. I think Frodo is a more polished version of Bilbo. I think the shining example of this is how each treats Gollum. Bilbo plays the riddle game with Gollum, 
and he nearly murders him out of fear while in the caves of the Misty Mountain. It should be said that Bilbo does spare Gollum because he pities his lonely existence. Likewise, Frodo shows pity to Gollum, but he goes a step further. Frodo needs a guide into Mordor, and he decides to take Gollum. This all works out in the long run, but there are definitely some bumps in the road. However, I think this sets up the recurring theme that Frodo goes a step further than Bilbo in most respects. Bilbo innocently finds the ring, but he still takes it for himself. Frodo reluctantly takes the ring to rid the world of its evil. I think that distinction itself is powerful enough to show how Frodo is a better hobbit. The role of John the Baptist as a forerunner to Jesus is a bit more clear. Most translations of the Bible actually have a title before Luke chapter 3 that reads, John the Baptist prepares the way. The Gospel of Luke gives descriptions of John's teaching, and they are really similar to Jesus' later discussions, particularly his Sermon on the Mount. John is calling out the ills of Jewish culture that has grown comfortable with Roman rule, and he is trying to show injustice to those in his society. The Gospel of Luke makes John out to be very aware of his role preparing for Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 16, says John tells his crowd, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Historians think it's actually a little unclear whether John is talking about Jesus or God himself here, but most Christians would interpret this to mean John is aware of Jesus' status as Messiah. John is a prophet who is gathering a fairly large following, but people don't worship John the Baptist as the Messiah today. His ministry is a simple taste of what is to come later in the Gospel of Luke. I think John is a foretelling of Jesus' fate as well. John is preaching against the injustices of his world, and he's making a splash. The Gospel of Mark says King Herod, who John is in prison for speaking against, actually liked listening to John, but he was confused by his teaching. John appears to be much more direct about the evils he is seeing than Jesus, and he is beheaded for his teachings against Rome. Like Frodo, Jesus is just a step ahead of where John is most of the time. Jesus also has a large following, and he attracts powerful men as well men like Nicodemus, who is a member of the Jewish ruling council. Nicodemus is also confused by Jesus' teaching, but Jesus takes a less direct approach than John. He cloaks his rebukes of those in power through parables and stories. Jesus dies like John, but he is successful in making his ministry much more public and what seems to be more powerful when he is crucified. Bilbo's lifestyle makes it easy to observe some differences between the two. John the Baptist is an aesthetic who lives off locusts and honey. Bilbo loves tea, armchairs, beds, and books. Basically a lot of the things I myself love. John feels a moral and religious obligation to confront injustice in Judea and confront the Roman Empire. Bilbo simply loves adventure, and I believe he sees the world as a game to play more than John does. John is a fiery, direct preacher who will shout condemnation at sinners. And Bilbo is a gentle man who loves riddles and songs. The two probably wouldn't spend a lot of time together if they were in the same high school class, but they are both people of intense convictions that show love to their cousins in really powerful and unique ways. I think Bilbo and John the Baptist share the most in common in their relationships and foreshadowing of our heroes. These are well-read men who likely come from wealthy families who reject the comforts of their everyday life. They are important figures for their cousins, and they share a strong familial connection to the heroes that manifest in Bilbo's adoption of Frodo and John's baptism of Jesus. They are both just bluntly kind of weird, and they seem to live a little bit outside of their societies, which makes their clearly close relationship with their cousins even more special. However, 
They are both incomplete versions of Jesus and Frodo. Bilbo loves adventure, but he likely lacks the moral fortitude that Frodo shows. John unashamedly calls out corruptions in his time, but his speech is too direct and he doesn't reach the height of Jesus. Bilbo and John are great men in their own right, and they deserve some recognition, but they just don't carry main character energy. When I go to parties, I always end up doing the same thing. I find one person to talk to, and I get to know them as well as I can. My wife will mingle and talk to everyone there, but I almost always find my one person and I talk to them. I think it's an effective strategy because I have found some amazing friends that way. But I also end up leaving the party thinking I was the life of the party, which is really only true for one person. But I just cannot be convinced otherwise because it feels like I was making friends left and right. I think this is a phenomenon that Bilbo and John could relate to. My next discussion is probably going to be a little bit controversial for some readers, but I think it is worth taking time to look at what role Bilbo and John the Baptist thought they played themselves in the stories they are now known for. I think anyone who has read The Lord of the Rings gets a sense for how Bilbo feels about adventure. Although he plans to return to his armchair at the end of The Hobbit, it is clear years later that he has grown tired of the Shire. So Bilbo does what any normal person would do when he gets ready to leave. He plans himself a massive birthday party where he will give a beautiful send-off speech and vanish from view using his ring. The plan is meant to cause scandal, and afterwards Gandalf tells Bilbo, quote, You've had your joke and alarm or offended most of your relations and given the whole Shire something to talk about, end quote. This behavior absolutely screams, I think I am the main character to me. Bilbo plans an elaborate way to Irish goodbye everyone, but he knows this story is going to become something that will be talked about for generations. I think Bilbo is trying to place a cap on his legacy in the Shire, and you don't need to think about your legacy unless you think you are already memorable. A little later on, Bilbo gives us another reason to think he has a bit of an outsized idea of his role in the books. Many years later, Frodo is attacked near the beginning of his journeys by some really bad guys called the Nazgul. Frodo receives a really bad wound in a fight with them, and he is rushed to Rivendell, one of the home of the elves, for treatment. Coincidentally, the now elderly Bilbo is residing there, and Frodo reunites with his beloved cousin. We learn Bilbo's big adventure really wasn't all that adventurous, and he has come to Rivendell to write his books and make songs. While they are catching up, Bilbo says one of the funniest and most ludicrous thing in the entire series. Quote, Fancy that ring of mine causing such a disturbance. It is a pity that Gandalf did not find out more sooner. I could have brought the thing here myself long ago without so much trouble. End quote. I absolutely love this line. This is like the definition of hubris to me. Bilbo sees Frodo struggle to bring the ring to Rivendell, and also sees the terrible wound he receives. Then he basically says, If y'all would have just told me, this wouldn't have been a big deal. I would have had like zero problems taking that thing here. This is why we love Bilbo, but it is pretty obvious that he truly believes he is a little bit more capable than he really is. The last reason I think Bilbo identifies himself as the main character is his statements at the end of the Lord of the Rings series. Bilbo stays in Rivendell during Frodo's journeys, and his health declines significantly, so it should be said that he may be suffering from some type of dementia at this point. However, Bilbo greets Frodo by simply saying, You're back! Bilbo doesn't even know the ring has been destroyed, so he asks Frodo about it. This is a little sad, because it shows Bilbo's forgetfulness, but I think in a literary sense, it allows Bilbo to maintain the illusion of his greatness. 
Frodo's journeys to him are similar to his own, and he still fought a dragon and found the ring. He can't really recognize the greatness of Frodo's journeys in this state. He then tells Frodo to finish his story, which is essentially The Hobbit. Even after Frodo travels to Mordor and gets rid of the ring, Bilbo is a little bit more interested in making sure his own story is told. Again, I think this is understandable given his advanced age and state, but it is a little bit funny nonetheless. Bilbo never really gets the impression that his own story has been eclipsed. Some people might interpret Bilbo's actions in a slightly different way, but I think most won't have too many problems with my interpretation. The real controversy comes when we discuss John the Baptist. When we see John in his later years, he is a popular teacher and prophet who feels like he is speaking on God's behalf. Professor Helen K. Bond at the University of Edinburgh discusses the role John may have played in Jesus' life after his baptism. She says it is quite likely that Jesus joined John's inner group following the baptism, and Jesus probably worked out his philosophy and teachings while he was with John. If Jesus was in this group, then I think it is probably pretty natural for John to assume that he has a higher authority than Jesus. This might ruffle some feathers, but I just don't see a way around it. Professor Bond continues to point out some real differences in the two men's work. As we have discussed, John lived in the desert wilderness and subsisted on very little. John's inner circle was probably pretty small, and he may have had his followers perform a ritual baptism to prove their inclusion. This is a pretty big contrast to Jesus. The Gospels make it obvious that Jesus was a man who went into cities and seemed to enjoy socializing with all types of people. Jesus is also frequently performing exorcisms and healings, and he seems more focused on the here and now than John. I think John may have had some reservations about Jesus' message and teaching style. The Gospel of Luke gives us a little hint at that in chapter 7. It says, quote, The disciples of John reported all the miracles Jesus was doing to him. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to ask you, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus had just then cured many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, and had given sight to many who were blind. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. This little story is really interesting. Luke himself set up the births of John and Jesus to show how John knew Jesus was the Messiah. But now John is sending messengers to ask Jesus if he is the Messiah. This doesn't sound like someone who is confident in the identity of Jesus. I think this story is a hint that John is a little bit concerned about Jesus' claim, and he wants to check it out for himself. Professor John Crossan from DePaul University gives us another clue that these two may have not seen completely eye-to-eye like Luke would have us believe. He states, quote, One of the earliest statements we have is a statement by Jesus that John is the greatest person ever born on earth, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Now, it's a marvelously ambiguous statement. The first half lodged John to the heavens. The second puts the least person in the kingdom ahead of him. But that means exactly what I would expect. It means Jesus is changing his vision of God and the kingdom of God from what he has taken from John. He's not really denigrating John, but he is saying that the kingdom of God is not exactly what John was teaching. End quote. This may have been a clapback from Jesus at John's questioning, or it could have been his own retort that John is great and all, but he hasn't quite got it figured out. The last little bit I want to mention about John's vision of himself 
comes from a recent book published by Duke Divinity School professor Joel Marcus called John the Baptist in History and Theology. Here is a bit from the blurb about the book. In the published work, Marcus makes a powerful case that John saw himself, not Jesus, as the proclaimer and initiator of the kingdom of God and his own ministry as the center of God's saving action in history. The New Testament scholar contends that biblical and extra-biblical evidence reveals a continuing competition between the two men that early Christians sought to muffle. This is just a single book, and I want to say that I am personally in the camp that John is just kind of doing his thing and uncertain about Jesus' teaching. But I think this is an entirely rational take on what we have seen of John the Baptist. Early Christians seem really obsessed with finding his place in Jesus' story, and it could have been a way to discredit John's own story. I think when you put this all together, though, you get a strong impression that John isn't as submissive to his role as forerunner than it might appear. He clearly has his own vision, and he knows he is important to God's plan. Why would he not think he is the main figure in God's plan over his pupil and younger cousin? Bilbo and John have a bit of an outsized role for themselves in our stories. They believe they have the power to conquer evil and restore things to their natural state. And at least Bilbo is convinced he could have done it pretty easily. Neither seems to be sure of the role their younger cousins play. John questions Jesus' status, and Bilbo doesn't even know Frodo has destroyed the ring in the end. It's pretty easy to be critical of these two for a little bit of hubris, but I think these characters reveal our own human nature. No one wants to be a forerunner. No one wants to be thought of as anything less than the principal hero in the story. I think it is entirely reasonable for these two men, who have great accomplishments in their own rights, to mitigate the roles of their younger cousins in their minds. I do think the two have one major difference in this respect, though. Jesus and John are spinning their stories at the same time. This means they may have been directly competing for followers. It's easier to diminish someone's status and accomplishments when you have to regularly go against them. I'm not saying John did this, but I think subconsciously he would have tried to downplay Jesus some. It's a completely human response. We can't all be Cardi B and compete only with ourselves. Bilbo, meanwhile, has already lived a full life when Frodo's time comes. I don't think he is intentionally trying to undermine Frodo's adventure, but is more of a funny inclusion for the story. As a reminder that no matter what we do or how far we travel, our older cousins still think of us exactly the same. Bilbo's confidence knows no bounds as well, so I think Bilbo can be seen as someone with a little more swagger than John in his camel hair coat. He knows he has a good story to tell, and it deserves to be written down. I can understand how someone would reject both of these interpretations. John the Baptist and Bilbo Baggins are good, moral people, and it can be difficult to want to think of them as prideful in these ways. But for me, this view really makes them more human to me. I know what it is like to think of my story as just as important as someone else's. I think of myself as someone worth remembering, like I hope everyone listening to this podcast does. And it isn't natural for me to put myself in the forerunner role. Perhaps someone with children could understand this a little bit more. But then again, Frodo and Jesus aren't Bilbo and John's children either. To wrap this little section up, the reason I started this podcast is to help me understand my favorite biblical and secular characters better. And seeing the resistance these two men have to the label of forerunner makes me understand my own selfishness at times. Sometimes we all need to step back and accept that to others, sometimes we're just a cool older cousin. My last discussion point is the similarity between the baptisms these characters give the heroes and the differences in their deaths. 
We have already discussed John the Baptist's role in baptizing Jesus. It's a big part of why his last name is the Baptist, right? There's a little bit more to this story than meets the eye, though. Luke chapter 3 tells us that Jesus has come to be baptized by John at the age of 30. It can be a bit confusing for modern Christians to understand why Jesus would need to be baptized at all, but Israelite priests were typically not allowed to begin a life of ministry until the age of 30. Some parts of the Old Testament say 30 is the age, and other places 25. Generally, though, the age of 30 was considered the age when a man was mature enough to begin a life for God. So the Gospel of Luke is tying John's baptism of Jesus to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. John's baptism is essentially doing two things. Introducing Jesus as a man, now mature, and signaling that Jesus is now starting his public ministry. John's baptism is a very important introduction for Jesus into the later stages of his life where he becomes the Messiah. It's really a rite of passage setting up Jesus' destiny. Interestingly, Bilbo appears to be doing something similar for Frodo. Remember that Frodo and Bilbo share a birthday, and Bilbo is especially proud of this fact. The night of Bilbo's big birthday party is also Frodo's 33rd birthday, which Chapter 1 of The Fellowship of the Rings says is the, quote, date of his coming of age, end quote. During Bilbo's big speech to conclude the party, he acknowledges this fact. Quote, For it is, of course, also the birthday of my heir and nephew Frodo. He comes of age and into his inheritance today. End quote. Like the baptism, this is a public acknowledgement that Frodo is entering a new stage of maturity. And as for Frodo coming into his inheritance, this is also the night he receives the ring. Like John, Bilbo is setting up Frodo's destiny to carry the ring by making this public announcement. The gift of the ring is a baptism for Frodo into adulthood and his future as the ring bearer. As an aside, this is a nice time to remember episode 2's discussion of the importance of the number 3. Check it out if you want to learn why 30 and 33 might be popping up here. I think this is a really cool look at exactly why these two men can be considered forerunners to the main heroes. They are the people who baptize the heroes into adulthood and the destinies that await them. Bilbo and John's bond with their cousins is beautifully seen here, as they are the two people to welcome the heroes into the next stage of their life. The last small point I wanted to compare is the deaths of Bilbo and John. Unfortunately for John, his life would be cut short when he is beheaded by one of the Roman rulers of Judea in his day. We don't really have a clear age of when this would have occurred, but it is obvious that John meets a rather unpleasant end to his life. By contrast, Bilbo lives to be the oldest hobbit to have ever lived at 131. He lives life the way he wants to, and he gets to celebrate his own story by writing songs and book in his old age. It is a sharp difference from John the Baptist, but I think their deaths are significant for the heroes. In true forerunner fashion, these deaths are a foreshadowing of what will happen to the main protagonist. John is cut down by the Roman-appointed rulers of Judea to maintain the status quo, and Jesus follows suit. Jesus' death is much more public, but they are executed for the same ideas of justice. The Romans are not to be crossed, and John and Jesus are a reminder of that. For Bilbo, he lives to an old age, but he can't truly be happy in the Shire after his adventures. He thinks a holiday will cure his wanderlust, but I think it is clear when we meet Bilbo again in Rivendell that that didn't happen. The evil of the ring has caused too much pain for Bilbo, and he can't return to his normal life now. The same can be true for Frodo. After he destroys the ring, Frodo heads back to the Shire, but he isn't the same. The ring has caused harm that can't be reversed, 
and he knows he has to leave. The two show their amazing strength at their ability to be exposed to the ring for so long, but it still does a number on them. The two eventually depart for the Undying Lands at the end of the book to heal from the wounds caused by the ring. It isn't exactly clear where or what this place is, but the two clearly need to change after their adventures. Bilbo's restlessness at the beginning of the book isn't quite the same as Frodo's injured state, but it is obvious that neither can return to normalcy after their exposures to such evil. Both deaths are fittingly examples of what the heroes will suffer. John the Baptist and Bilbo might not receive the attention of Jesus and Frodo, but their deaths are a testament to their greatness. Although they are forerunners, John and Bilbo are still important in their own right, and they deserve our attention. we have for this week's look at Bilbo Baggins and John the Baptist. I had a blast diving into the research for this one, and I hope y'all found this look as fascinating as I did. There is a ton of stuff out there on interpretations of Lord of the Rings and John the Baptist, so stick around after this conclusion if you want to know what sources I used. Also feel free to reach out to me on Twitter if you have any questions about the show or this week's episode. Next week we will be doing something a little bit different. I usually compare characters in our study, but the next episode is going to look at Bilbo's big birthday party and the wedding in Cana where Jesus performs his first miracle. I think this is going to be a really fun episode, and who doesn't love a good wedding? So be looking for that next week. I want to thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this little podcast, then please share us with others that are lovers of books, biblical comparisons, or anything in between. We are just starting out, so we need all the help we can to get the word out. Also, Please check out our website at anchor.fm slash booknerdinthebible or find us on Twitter at booknerd underscore Bible. You can find the next episode of A Book Nerd in the Bible on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Good Pods. Thanks again, and may the book nerd in you be blessed until we meet again. As we do every week. I'm going to give you a quick list of the sources I used in this episode. Always feel free to reach out with questions, and I hope you will find some stuff you like here. For more about John the Baptist, check out PBS Frontline's article titled John the Baptist from their Jesus to Christ series, the St. John the Baptist entry in Britannica Encyclopedia, John and Jesus, Mentor or Rival by Professor Helen K. Bond on BibleOdyssey.org, and John the Baptist in History and Theology by Joel Marcus. For more about Bilbo Baggins, look up, obviously, The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings series by J.R.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings and Philosophy by William Irwin, a series of collected essays about The Lord of the Rings edited by Harold Bloom in the Modern Critical Interpretation series, a Tolkien treasury edited by Alita Becker, The Complete Tolkien Companion by J.E.A. Tyler, and The Hobbit Companion by David Day. Additional sources this week include Golem's Blighted Repentance and What Bilbo Saw by Tom Hillman, and Why Jesus Waited by Daniel Black in Evangel Magazine. These are some great resources, and I absolutely could not have written this week's episode without them. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next week.